conquering during like severe spiritual warfare. It's a pretty basic sermon in some ways, but I believe it'll be a great blessing to you. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this word tonight. It's very pastoral and dealing with conquering during severe warfare. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray tonight that every single person that's going to be hearing this or watching this, let your Holy Spirit move upon them even right now. And Lord, help us by the Holy Spirit just to get focused, get locked in and focused to what you're saying. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be hindered. Lord, I pray people may hear this driving down the road, but let your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us and give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and that our eyes and ears be eyes and ears of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will help us. And Lord, I ask you to anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be said. Let it be thorough. And Lord, let it be as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let it bear fruit. Let it be powerful. Let your word go out and be, Lord, like a sword that penetrates. Lord, let it be like a hammer that breaks down strongholds. Let it be a bright, shining light of truth that shines in and dispels the darkness. Let there be the washing of the water of the word. And let your wind of your Holy Spirit carry this out among the nations. It will get where it needs to be. And Lord, we take authority because the birds of the air try to steal the sea. We agree together. We submit this unto you. And we take authority in anything of the devil that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to be, accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. In any way, we bind you in the name of Jesus. We command you to back off right now. And Lord, we thank you for your mighty angels just getting rid of any warfare, any resistance. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit moving upon this word. And we thank you for the Bible says that it will not return void. It will accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. So we stand on that. We believe it. We expect it. It will go forth and produce fruit. It will go forth getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at a few things tonight and dealing with severe spiritual warfare. Appreciate you guys giving me your best ear tonight and just really focus because I believe this will help you. Everybody is going to go through spiritual warfare. Let me just say something in passing real quick. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but <clears throat> tonight happens to be October 31st, and so it's Halloween. And so let me just say this. You know why I don't celebrate Ramadan? Because I'm not a Muslim. <laughs> you know why I don't celebrate Halloween? Because I'm not a witch. Let's just move on. All right, so a couple things we're going to cover tonight. All right. In dealing with spiritual warfare, severe satanic warfare in these latter days, we know warfare is going to be severe. So I'm going to give you a couple things tonight that will really help you. And I encourage people to really take this to heart. It's a very pastoral sermon. <clears throat> But how we respond during times of spiritual warfare is going to determine a lot of things for us. When people come under spiritual warfare, sometimes it can beat people down if they don't handle it well to where it can affect them very long term. Sometimes bad decisions can be made during times of warfare that those decisions 
will affect somebody for many, many years. And it can, be, it can take a long time sometimes to get back on track. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants setbacks. He wants destruction that goes on for a really long period of time. But if we handle warfare well, then we're going to come through the other side victorious, and the enemy's not going to be able to do that. And we're going to come out better than we went in. Stronger than we went in. And so let me give you about seven or eight warnings, and then I'm going to give you some things just to, to take to heart. But I encourage everybody to take these notes home and really pray over them. Put it in your Bible and really pray about it and remember this. This might be a sermon that you want to go back and listen to again just to really get the information. See, God has created us as Christians. He's created us not to go backward. We're supposed to be going from glory to glory. Everybody say from glory to glory. We're supposed to be growing spiritually. It's supposed to be a forward momentum. Just like I've said many times, it's like the hull of a boat. You notice the front end of the boat is like a V-shape. And it's that way to, to break through the resistance of that water. And many times the back end of the boat is flat because it's not created for high speeds going backward. We're created that way in Christ. We're supposed to be going forward, not backward. And so the enemy wants to slow things down and he wants really for people to go backward. And so let me give you number one. And this has to do with Matthew 24, verse 10. Jesus said, in the last days, many will fall away. That's a scary statement. But falling away there is actually a Greek word, scandalon, which means to be offended. So it's the falling away is connected to being offended, okay? And it says, because of the offense that they will end up betraying one another and hating one another. Is everybody seeing this? This is a very serious warning. He's saying that in the last days, there's going to be people that fall away, that get offended. And the result of that will be that they're going to betray each other and they're going to hate each other. But it's rooted where it started was the offense. And the Greek word scandalon in the Bible implies, you can look this up for yourself, it's a really interesting word. But what scandalon means, it's like the bait of a trap. So some of you guys have seen, maybe if you were in any type of scouts or something growing up, that you've seen where you can make these little traps that you put a stick and the stick holds up the front end of the trap. And then you put bait in the middle and when an animal comes in, they knock the stick over and the trap falls on them and you've got them. So this word scandalon implies bait and trap so the offense is the bait and when people get offended and they don't deal with it the trap is they're in now unforgiveness and unforgiveness is a big open door for the devil i mean a big one there's probably not too many other open doors to the devil that's any bigger than moving into unforgiveness it's a wide open door. And we know from Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, when you pray, make sure that you forgive others so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. In other words, if we don't forgive other people, 
then God won't forgive us. That's a scary scripture. And Jesus taught us that, you remember the parable about how the man went to this other guy that owed him money and began to threaten him. And the guy said, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I'll pay you back when I can. And the guy had mercy on him. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll forgive it. But then that guy that was forgiven goes out and finds somebody that owes him a little bit of money and he begins to beat him and threaten him and everything else. Well, the original guy found out about it, got angry and said, I'll tell you what, you won't forgive him, then I won't forgive you. And he said, I'm going to throw you into prison with the tormentors until you pay back every dime you owe. And that was a parable Jesus taught. And so we've got to be willing to forgive others. Let it go. This is the first thing, offense. And I've seen where things, I just feel led to mention this, but this is an issue in our own hearts, isn't it? It's something within us. But I've seen where there's generational tendencies in bloodlines. And you guys understand this quite well in River of Life. And there's a lot of those that I've seen, but one of them is I've seen a tendency to not forgive and to be bitter and to hold grudges. I've seen that travel down family bloodlines where people have a tendency that they're going to hold a grudge, they're not going to let it go, and they're going to get bitter. And that's some kind of an iniquity in that bloodline. So think about it. Is that something that's in you? And if it is, is it in your mom and dad? Is it in your grandparents? Is it something in your family? But ask God to forgive you for that tendency and repent of it. Repent of any iniquity in you that's in your family. Because just like you inherit your eye color, your hair color, you also inherit family iniquity, which none of us want to inherit that, but it's just part of the thing that happens. And, you know, David said he was formed in the, his mother's womb in iniquity. So it's there. And in Christ, Family iniquity is not something that's going to send you to hell, but you're going to wrestle with it until it's removed. Does that make sense? So God holds us accountable for our own sin, but that family iniquity will hinder people until it's removed. And the way to pray about it is, Lord, forgive me for my sins, but forgive me for this iniquity that's in me and that's been in my blood. I repent of it. Take it out of me because you were bruised for my iniquity. And God can not only pardon your sin, but he can deliver you from the power of that iniquity in your life where you're no longer going to struggle with it. How many people have had something in your life that you felt like you really struggled with, but then the Lord took that out of you and you no longer struggle like you used to? I have experienced that. How many people have experienced that? You know what that probably was? Iniquity that was in you. Not only were you forgiven for your sin, but the Lord took that iniquity drive out of you. Now you don't struggle with it anymore at all. So Christ is not only pierced for our transgressions, that's our sin that we've committed in rebellion to God, but he's even bruised for our iniquity. Things that have traveled down family blood. The bottom line is this issue we can't blame just our family ancestry about these things. This is something we've got to learn to handle well because there's going to be times where we're, we're going to be, there's going to be injustices in our lives. There's going to be times when people don't handle things well 
and they're hurtful towards you and it's not right and we've got to learn to be quick to forgive so let me just give you some advice as a pastor I've learned a long time ago I do not go to bed at night ever without making sure I forgive everybody make that a rule of thumb in your life that you just refuse to go to bed until you forgive everybody there's such a freedom in that and not only that but I don't go to bed without confessing and repenting of anything I feel was not right with God through that day I say Lord I forgive anybody and if anybody comes to mind I truly forgive them from my heart I take a moment to do it and then I say Lord forgive me for anything in my life that hasn't been right through this day wash me in your blood I repent when I go to bed tonight I want everything to be right with God if we'll live that way there's freedom the devil won't be able to get a foothold in your life so number one is guard against offense and how many knows also with offense that a lot of things we shouldn't let offend us and I know everybody's dealt with this in different degrees but how many knows that there's just a lot of things that we just need to let roll off of us people are going to be rude people are going to do things don't let it get a root in your life I was asking a, a wonderful pastor that sing a move of God in his church in Georgia and we were talking about different things now I was asking him about handling difficult people in a certain area because he had dealt with some things that I was dealing with and I asked him I said well how do you guys deal with this and he said well people can be really difficult can't they he said but at the end of the day this is what he said he said make sure that you just forgive them and don't listen to what he said don't let any of that get in your spirit that's good advice isn't it people are going to be sometimes not right but don't let it get in you don't let it get in your spirit and stay with you forgive them doesn't mean you have to agree with it doesn't mean you have to like everything and it doesn't mean you have to keep them in your life how many knows that we there's certain people that are toxic that we just don't need in our lives amen doesn't mean they need to be in your life but at the same time we've got to forgive them from our hearts and John Arnott used to say just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you keep trusting them he said if somebody comes up to you and, and says can I borrow a thousand dollars you give them a thousand dollars they promise to pay it back they don't pay it back he said you forgive the debt but then they come to you later years later and say can I borrow another thousand dollars you say absolutely not <laughs> you, you forgave the debt but you're not stupid amen and so that doesn't mean you have to trust everybody doesn't mean that they have to be in your life doesn't mean you have to have them back to your home anymore but you forgive them from your heart and let it go you're not going to let it get in your spirit and defile you don't get offended apparently in these latter days Jesus said that there would be many that would be offended and fall away there's going to be a lot of offense there's going to be a lot of hurt there's going to be a lot of things going on and he said because of that people are going to get hateful they're going to get bitter they're going to betray each other there's going to be a lot of rottenness read 2nd Timothy chapter 3 it's like humanity begins to circle the toilet bowl right and they're just the moral depravity so there's going to be a lot of this but we've got to learn to forgive from our hearts okay 
So number two, and this is a big warning, is grumbling and complaining. One person said, how can you fail at everything in life? And they said, you can blame everybody else for your problems, and you can grumble and complain about everything. That's true. If you want to fail in life, blame everybody else and gripe about everything. So here's a warning in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, being a rabbi and a scholar, really studied the first five books of the Bible his whole life. I mean, I'm sure he knew it word for word and could quote probably large portions of Scripture. And he studied the journeys of Israel in the wilderness. And this is what he said to the church in Corinth who probably didn't know the Bible very well. They were new believers. And he's basically telling them, you need to get out and get the Bible out and really study the first five books of the Bible and see these examples now look what he says he said these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as indeed they did talking about israel in the wilderness and he gives us this warning do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and that was talking about the issue with the golden calf. Remember, they began to dance around the golden calf and they were worshiping the golden calf. And God had to come down and judge it. And there was a large group of people that died that day at the judgment of God. So idolatry, we know, obviously, bowing down to some kind of an idol. We know worshiping another god. We know there's some kind of a graven image this is all kind of common sense. We also know the occult, witchcraft, divination, sorcery. Anything to do with that is an absolutely an abomination to God. God absolutely hates it. It is a major open door to the devil. Let me just go ahead and say it on Halloween. You're playing with fire and you're opening the door to demons in your life, messing with us. So I'm just telling you. And the wise will listen. But idolatry can also be this. Idolatry is anything in your heart. Everybody say this, anything in my heart that steals the, your devotion to God. Anything in your heart that, that eclipses your love for Christ. So the litmus test can be this. Is there something in your life that God asked you to give it up that you would not give it up? I believe really that's what God was doing with Abraham. Abraham wanted a son for so long and God promised him one and gave him a son and God said I want it, I want you to offer Isaac as an on the altar as a sacrifice to me Abraham was willing to do it but of course God didn't really want that he just wanted to see that Abraham was willing you see because God didn't want Abraham to have anything in his heart that was an idol to him anything too important anything that was more important to him than God God is a jealous God, and he does it, I mean, whether it's money, relationships, friendships, whatever it is, career, material possessions, nothing in our hearts needs to be more important than God. It does not need to eclipse our devotion to him. It doesn't need to steal our affections that belong to God, but our, those affections are on those things. Does that make sense tonight? It can literally be anything. 
Make sure there's no idols in your heart whatsoever. God wants our entire heart. He wants to be number one. Everything else takes a back seat to him. And also number two, Paul said, make sure that you do not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a day. Sexual immorality is serious. Don't put God to the test as some of them did and were killed by snakes. So sexual immorality is anything, any sex outside of a husband and wife in marriage, okay? But Jesus told us even to look with lust is adultery. So pornography is adultery. Anything that is sexual immorality, any type of lust is not right with God. So God wants us to be careful that we do not allow any type of sexual immorality in our lives whatsoever. And then the third thing, Paul says this, nor grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to allow the destroyer to go through my life. Can I get an amen? Has anybody really ever read that slow and saw that grumbling releases the destroyer in your life? Grumbling is a heart issue, isn't it? But anyway, I'll get back to that. So verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let no one thinks he stands. Watch out that he does not fall. No temptation is overtaking you except something common to man. But God is faithful and he will, allow you, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, provide a way of escape so that you may endure it. So in other words, you may be tempted to have an idol. You may be tempted with lust. You may be tempted to grumble, but the Lord said, don't do it. I've given you a way out to resist that temptation. So grumbling is a heart issue. God wants us to be, have a thankful heart before him. I remember one time David Hogan said this. He said, I know that we all go through things. You may go through something really difficult, but he said, you don't have to look far to see somebody going through something worse than you. And that's true. Every one of us are here tonight. Did you know tonight as we're here, there's somebody in a hospital bed right now hooked up to a monitor. And you know, while you're here tonight, there's somebody that's too crippled to get out of their bed and go to church that would like to be at church tonight. Did you know that? You guys have had food to eat today, haven't you? Did you know there's somebody out there right now that hadn't eaten today? There's a lot to be thankful for. A wicked heart before God is ungrateful. And every night that I go to bed, I forgive people. I repent of anything in my life. But I take a moment and ask my wife because we pray together. I thank the Lord. I've made up my mind I'm going to have a thankful heart. I don't like everything that I've gone through in life. And there's things I wouldn't want to go through again. But I'm not going to be one of those people that sit around grumbling and complaining either. And I thank the Lord every night. Lord, I thank you so much. I have a roof over my head. I ask her, I, I do this, don't I? Lord, I thank you. We've had good food to eat today. Lord, we have nice clothes to wear. We have a vehicle to get us where we need to go. And Lord, here we are in a home. We've got, thank you for your provision. 
Lord, I thank you so much for taking care of us. Thank you for our family. And I thank the Lord and I mean it. And I think that the way God really got that in my life was because I went on mission trips to Mexico and other places, but I went into poverty-stricken areas in Mexico. And I saw people that have nothing. And I would go into their house and we would, you know, spend time with them and pray with them. And their house was a dirt floor with basically those cinder blocks built up around it. And they had a wire that went from the top of their house over where they hung their clothes. And they, when I say they had nothing, they have nothing. And then you come back here and people are going to sit around grumbling and complaining. You see, God sees that. He sees the, those that actually have nothing, and then he sees the spoiled brats over here to the left, amen, that are grumbling. So just be careful, because grumbling and complaining can release the destroyer. And I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want any destroyer released in my life. I want to be thankful for what God has given me. And don't get me wrong, we go through things and we get frustrated. But cultivating a thankfulness... I heard somebody one time also say this, and I believe it's true. They said that they did a study. And you know how when you have certain repetitious things in your life that you keep doing over and over and over, it becomes a habit. And even people that, that are in the military and they train in certain fighting techniques or whatever, whenever it comes up instinctively they just those things it's like a knee-jerk reaction they just react to their training well he said in the same way your neurons and all that fire and you you get used to a certain thing the point was they were saying this negative people that are always negative and they look at everything negatively their eyes tend to see everything negative their ears hear everything negative their mouth speaks everything negative they said that they actually condition their, even their physical body to be negative. Their brain, the neurons to negativity create this pathway. They were saying this is a scientific study. I personally believe it's true. How many of you guys have ever met somebody that's just a negative person? It's hard to get them to not be negative. You try to interrupt them while they're talking. Hey, what about, I remember one time I was talking to a lady. And she's a nice lady. She's related by marriage to this particular individual. But just negative going on and on and on and I was I finally just got tired of it I was really nice but I said well you know what and I changed the subject there's something positive but some people it's hard to get to break that negativity about them but also somebody that's happy and thankful is they condition themselves every day did you know the very first prayer in the Hebrew culture when people wake up it's called modeani and it means I thank you, Lord. That's the first thing that's supposed to come out of their mouth. I thank you, Lord, that you've refreshed my soul within me, that you've given me another day. Great is your faithfulness. The first thing out of their mouth when they wake up, Modeani, I thank you, Lord. So people that are happy and they've conditioned themselves to look at the glass half full, <laughs> to, to see things positively, to hear things positive to speak positive to react positively and they create a mindset of being a positive person they also create like a good healthy stronghold in their life of positivity 
Is this making sense? And people that are negative in their mind and in their heart also are negative with their mouth. But people that are positive in their hearts and minds are positive with their mouth. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as we have a thankful heart and a positive heart and we're somebody that's looking on the, the good things in life, then our mouth will also speak blessings. And, and James warns us that if you're not careful, your mouth, your tongue can be set on fire by the fires of hell. Did you know that's in the Bible? That your tongue can be lit by the fires of hell. You know what that is? That amongst other things, I mean gossip and all that, but your tongue can be lit by negativity. Did you know that Derek Prince, and Derek Prince said one time in his book, Blessings and Curses, you can choose, which I highly recommend you read if you haven't. He said that there are people that it's self-imposed curses. He said they're, they're dealing with things in their lives. They're wrestling unseen forces. They're wrestling curses that they spoke over themselves. They got upset. Their tongue got lit by the fires of hell. And pretty, listen to them. Pretty soon they've spoken everything negative you can imagine over themselves, everybody around them. Some people are miserable and they'd want to make everybody around them miserable. And they curse themselves and they curse their finances. They curse their health. They curse their job. And everything goes from being bad to a lot worse because they're cursing it. So I'm talking about overcoming in serious spiritual warfare tonight. If you're going to be somebody that gets offended and get in unforgiveness, you're going to have, you're really going to get hurt if you're not careful in warfare. You're opening the door. Number two, if you're a person that's a negative person and a grumbler and you speak curses over yourself, don't be surprised if you don't end up going, making everything in life a lot worse. It can take a long time to get all that stuff back off of you that you allowed, all the things you spoke over yourself, to see all that broken and cleared away and get freed up from it and then get back on track again, it can take a little while sometimes. But if we handle things well when warfare comes, we're going to be getting up every day and we're going to be thanking God. See, warfare comes and life circumstances are not good. But we still get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for another day. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to me. You've been good to me. You've supplied my needs. You've taken care of me. I praise you. You alone are worthy of all the honor and the glory. There's none like you. I bless you today. And, Lord, I choose today to give you thanks and praise. And I'm going to walk with a positive mindset. Listen, we got our minds set on the Lord and his word. You can't help but be positive. Number three, to overcome an end time severe spiritual warfare. Because how many knows the devil will come sometimes and it can be pretty oppressive? How many have been through warfare where you felt just an oppression? It was hard to pray. It's hard to lift your hands in worship. It's hard to think straight. There's a heaviness. That's the enemy coming in to oppress. But we've got to handle it well. And here's another thing. Be careful in Ephesians 4:29, let no corrupt talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you know that our mouths can grieve the Holy Spirit? Our mouths can really grieve him. And I believe grumbling and being negative grieves the Holy Spirit. But also what I want to deal with is gossip and slander. And let me encourage you guys. Because you may not be a gossip. But somebody else may be a gossip. If you listen to it, you're participating. Shut it down. So gossip is this. Somebody wants to share information about another person that it is none of their business. That's gossip. They come to you and they start talking about somebody else's business to you. Did you know so-and-so got into all this sin and backslid and they did all this stuff? It's like, whoa, I don't want to know all this. Let's just change the subject right now. Gossip is going around being a talebearer. And the Bible says even in the first five books of the Bible, God told the nation of Israel, there shall not be those among you that go about my people as a talebearer. They go around saying, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you know about this? And they want to gossip. So gossip is a dangerous thing. That's another area where your tongue can be lit by the fires of hell. But gossip is exceedingly wicked, and it causes great problems among his people. See, when people are gossips, they cause a lot of problems among God's people, don't they? Because they'll, they'll get offended about something, and instead of handling it well, they want to go over to somebody else, and they want to speak about it to them. And they start spreading this gossip, or, and this is something interesting, too, I've seen in church, <laughs> so-called prayer meetings. Now, listen, here in River of Life, we actually pray in prayer meetings. Can you believe that? Because a lot of times, so-called prayer meetings, they don't pray. But anyway, in some I've seen, <laughs> well, I have a prayer request for Sister So-and-So. Did you know that she was da 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 all this gossip starts? It's not praying, it's gossiping. And then this other person, oh, well, did you know that So-and-So was doing it? And pretty soon they haven't really prayed about anything. They're just wanting to gather together and spread gossip about people. But God hates gossip. I don't, I'm joking around a little bit, but seriously, it's a serious sin. And it can cause you a lot of heartache because God will hold us accountable for our sin. So be careful. And the other one, gossip, and gossip's evil twin sister, slander. Slander is where you smear people. It's not that you're talking about some type of information per se, but you want to smear their character and make them look like a horrible person behind their back. So somebody will get hurt feelings, get upset about this, any other, whatever, but then they want to go to other people and smear them. And pretty soon they've got other people that don't like the original person. And, and I, I remember reading this one time, and it's so true. I think it was Benny Baker's wife, and she put on Facebook, she said, did you know... There are people out there that hate you because of something somebody else told them. And that's the only reason they hate you. That's true. You know what it was said about Jesus? They hated him without reason. They did hate him, and they didn't have a legitimate reason. 
So there's people out there that hate you and will hate you because of the slander of others. I wonder how many people could have gone to church, could have got saved, their whole lives could have been changed, but because of gossips and slanderers that traffic through the kingdom of God, they cause so much division, so many hurt feelings, so many people um, getting out of church, getting away from God. They cause so much damage. And it's sad because the kingdom of God suffers. I'll tell you a story. You've probably heard this. It's kind of funny. But this preacher was saying that his father took a church. And it seemed like that this, this was many years ago. This church was having the hardest time. And so his dad being the pastor really began to seek God. What, what is hindering this church? And, and he went on a fast and really sought God. True story. Sought the Lord in prayer and fasting. And God spoke to him. And he said there's two women in the church that every time the church starts to go forward spiritually, the devil uses them to rise up and begin to cause all kinds of problems. So this pastor gets behind the pulpit the next Sunday and gets up there and says, well, he said, I've been seeking the Lord and fasting. And I've been asking, he's speaking to the whole congregation. I've been asking the Lord, what is hindering this church? It seems like we have not been able to break out and go forward. And he said, the Lord told me that there were two people in this church that every time the church starts to do good, they cause all kinds of problems, all kinds of hell breaks out. They stir up all kinds of issues and and it hinders the church from going forward. He said, I know who you are. And he said, if you don't get up and admit it right now and get down here and deal with it, I'm going to call you out. And this one lady bounced up real fast, said, it's me, and she's the other one, and called out her friend. <laughs> True story. Hopefully, I didn't hear the end of it. Hopefully, they came down and repented. But churches sometimes had the hardest time going forward. Think about how many people could have gotten saved. How many, how many revivals could have lasted longer? How many more healings and things could have happened if it wasn't for divisive people in the church? How many churches could have more finances to do more if it wasn't for divisive people that have left and took others with them? And it's not, I mean, this is widespread problem. All right, but let me just encourage you, River of Life, in these latter days as there's going to be severe warfare let's make it a point that we're not going to get offended if you get hurt feelings with somebody just go to them and talk about it we're not going to gossip we're not going to slander we're not going to listen to anybody that does either and we're going to keep our hearts pure the last couple things is discord be careful for this leads into division discord division Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Listen, in another scripture, it basically, or I'm sorry, another um, translation basically says to not associate with them. Did y'all catch that? So people that are divisive people, the Bible says to avoid them. That means that if you, you see them, you try to avoid them contact okay so I, I don't think sometimes this really hits home 
This means to actually avoid them. Don't associate. We don't hang out with these divisive people. Amen? So divisive people are those that are always stirring up all kinds of division. They want to turn church people against church leaders. They want to turn Christians against each other. They may use gossip to do it. They may use slander. But however they go about it, they're, they're pitting people against each other. It's divisive. And you can ask my wife, I, when it comes to divisive people, I don't associate with them. I just avoid them like the Bible says. But listen, the devil is a master at dividing. He will put negative thoughts in your head against other people. And it may not even be true. He'll put negative feelings in your heart toward people. The devil is a master at misunderstandings. You'll say something and, and by the time it gets in the atmosphere before it hits their earlobe, <laughs> the devil has twisted it all to pieces. And, but what they hear is not even what you said. And not what you meant. But anyway, he's a master deceiver, a master manipulator, and, and a master at dividing. And I'm warning River of Life, listen, the devil wants to try to sow division in marriages, in families, and in the church. We've got to be a people that are just not going to allow divisions among us. Are y'all with me in this? There's going to be times that maybe you get upset with somebody. And I remember a pastor gave me some really good advice one time. He said, look, he said, here's how you solve a lot of the problems in church. And he was right. He said, if somebody comes to you and they're upset with another person in the church and they come to you and they're I can't believe so-and-so did this. They said this. And he said, just stop them right there and say, okay, I hear you. And take them by the hand and say, now let's go talk to so-and-so and work it out. And he said, just take them to so-and-so, and, and you be a peacemaker. But, and that's true, because that may solve 90% of the problems, but sometimes people that come to you, they have absolutely no desire for unity and reconciliation. They just want an ear to listen to their gossip. And that's when you say, well, look, you're not interested in reconciling. I, I don't want to hear, I'm not going to get sucked into your problems, you know. I love you, but I don't want to be a party to this. So we've got to make up our mind that we're not going to put up with divisions. Is everybody with me in this? Because the one thing that can hinder a move of God the most is division. Number five, infiltrators. Galatians 2 verse 4, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said to this church, he said, hey, guys, look, this matter arose because some false believers. Everybody say false believers. Let that sink in for a moment. Not everybody that comes through the door is a true believer. You hear what I'm saying? Some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom of that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. So infiltrators of different kinds, I'll give you some different ones, but infiltrators, number one, my, my wife's testimony coming out of 
her family and her life at you know witchcraft and the occult and all that we've kind of met some people and one lady in particular this is actually quite common but among witches and satanists they actually have people that infiltrate christian churches for the purpose of pretending to be a christian to destroy it from within so that's common number two you also have believe it or not this made the secular news that they were talking about actually it might have been the 700 club i can't remember but it was it was a news source was saying that there were people that are liberal and groups just like for example you're seeing groups on the streets that are a part of like antifa and homegrown terrorists and people like that they said that there's actually groups in these liberals that are being taught to infiltrate christian churches to destabilize them from within that's interesting isn't it and also i might add that even though there may be sincere christians that come to church some of them the devil does not have to use his servants he doesn't have to find some kind of a witch or or drag somebody in there he's got some people that are christians that all he's got to do is get them ticked off one day and they're his greatest asset in that church so infiltrators are people that are brought in by the devil how many knows that not everybody needs to be in your church you understand that i pray every week pretty much i pray every week i stand at the front door and i pray lord i thank you that there's people out there that are going to be getting saved and there's people out there that you want them coming here and i ask you to draw them in and make it possible for them to come but i also ask you that you would block the wrong people people that are troubled and people that would try to come in and be used of the devil to bring destruction and i pray that i pray god block them from ever coming but if god permits it for some reason i also pray this i walk in between the chairs and all that and i pray lord you know all hearts if there's people that are trouble they're divisive people they're wicked people they shouldn't be here lord i pray don't let them stay lord i'm asking you don't let them get their roots down don't let them get entangled in the lives of other people just let them quickly be uprooted and cleared out and they won't be able to take others with them in jesus name i pray it and i mean it and i've seen god block some people and i've seen him also get rid of some but god knows who needs to be here how many knows the lord knows see we don't know everybody's heart we think we do but god actually knows people and we need to pray that way some people are all about numbers and all that man you can get all kinds of problems with the wrong people all right number six pride and rebellion if we're going to conquer in spiritual warfare it stands to reason that we're going to have to walk in the nature of jesus christ and not walk in the nature of the evil one in ezekiel 28 15 it's talking about the devil and it says about him it says about lucifer back before he fell when he was still in heaven it says you were at one time blameless until iniquity was found in you and you know what that iniquity was in the devil pride rose up in him 
Do y'all remember reading this in Ezekiel? Lucifer began to look at his own beauty and he began to get lifted up with pride. And as he got lifted up with pride, is everybody still with me? As Lucifer got lifted up with pride at his own beauty, he starts thinking to himself, and then we read about this in another passage in Isaiah, the great I wills. He said, I will ascend my throne. And basically at the end of it, he says, I will sit in God's throne. <laughs> Man, that takes some nerve right there, doesn't it? So Lucifer was filled with so much pride that he began to think to himself he was going to overthrow God and be enthroned on God's throne. And so what he did was out of great pride, he began to rebel. He began to rebel against God and he began to get a third of the angels to get angry with God and also rebel with him. How many knows that a lot of times people won't just get prideful and rebellious and leave by themselves. They want to take people with them. Don't they? Now I heard one minister say, and it's true, he said, don't get upset. I mean, it's obviously upsetting, but he said, don't let it bother you too much. If you've ever gone through some type of a split in the church, he said, because God himself went through a split in heaven. And that's true, isn't it? So guard, let's guard all of us. Let's guard against pride and rebellion. One guy said about pride, he said, pride's kind of like bad breath. A lot of times you're the last one to know you got it, but everybody else knows. So pride is something we really have to guard against because it's very subtle. So pride and rebellion. If we remain humble and we remain under authority. Can you imagine our military? If there was a military exercise where we were actually going into combat and we had the the general, whoever it was that was calling the shots, and he had his leaders out on the field. Can you imagine how horrible the massacre would be if everybody in the ranks of our military began to fight with each other? And the order comes down from the commander down saying, you need to do this. And three or four of the people said, I ain't doing it. I think it needs to be this way. In fact, I think I should be in charge. Can you imagine the massacre that would ensue on our military because there's no order in rank? People are not under authority. The thing is, I think that we all understand this in River of Life. There, there has to be a humility and a submission to authority. God operates through that. And pride and rebellion against authority is demonic. That's Lucifer. That's his nature. The devil is the God of pride and rebellion. The last two things I'm going to mention is this, returning to past patterns. Be careful. How many knows that the devil studies us? When I say the devil, he's only in one place at one time. But demonic spirits, fallen angels, those that prevail over Dallas, the principalities and powers over Dallas, and their demonic, uh, you know, lesions that roam the earth or whatever, they are the ones that study. They study churches. They study church leaders. They study Christians. They, they want to find weaknesses. And they know the weaknesses in our lives. They've studied us. They're not going to target your strength. They're going to target your weakness. 
they're not going to target a church's strength. If you have a church and you've got a really powerful prayer warrior that's strong in, in the Lord, they're not going to waste their time trying to attack that person too much other than distract them. But if they can find somebody that's a weak point, that they can use that person to cause all kinds of chaos and drama and all these problems and all this. You see what I'm saying? They study us. So we all know our own weaknesses, don't we? Our own tendencies. We all know how we were before we got saved. We know what the devil used to have in our lives. And the enemy knows it too. He's not going to target your strength. He's going to try to target those old places. And so my point is this, don't return to old patterns. It is for freedom, Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. So retain that freedom. If your weakness used to be certain things, maybe I'll just pick something out of the hat, okay? Maybe it was alcohol, then don't get around it. Whatever it was the devil used to have in you, don't get around it. Avoid it. Don't allow yourself to go back to old patterns. And this is how I want to close real quick, but please give me your best ear because this may be the most important. So the prophet Elijah, as awesome as a man of God as he was, he faced witchcraft in that Jezebel spirit, didn't he? Man, I don't have time to explain biblical witchcraft, but it's oppressive control and rebellion. Yes, it can be in the dark arts, but there's a lot more to it than that. When families are out of order, the husband is not leading, the wife is real controlling and wears the pants, the kids are in disarray. That family is being overtaken with witchcraft is what it is. And when a church, when leadership will not really lead, and they've got controlling, manipulative people in the congregation that control the church, they control the leadership, they control the pastor, what he's going to preach, what he's going to do and not do, that's witchcraft. And it can overtake a church like a dark cloud and squeeze the life out of a church. Are y'all hearing me? So Elijah had to deal with severe witchcraft in the nation of Israel. And as he began to go up against this thing, God used him to call down fire, we remember, and it consumed the altar, and he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. But then he ends up, Jezebel sends him this threat. But see, it wasn't just the threat of a woman, because I promise you he wouldn't have been remotely scared of that. There was a, a strong spirit, not some little troll demon running around. This was a spirit that was over that nation okay this is a strong spirit that whenever that came to elijah where uh, jezebel said by this time tomorrow i'm gonna kill you elijah was struck by some kind of a spirit of witchcraft and as great a man of god as elijah was listen to what i'm saying he goes into a depression depression is not of god do, please hear me. Do not allow yourself to get in depression. There's a spirit behind that. 
a spirit of witchcraft that wants to get people so depressed. And Elijah starts singing this song of depression. There's none left but me. You know, they've, they've killed all the prophets. Nobody loves me anymore. Nobody wants to listen to my prophecies. Nobody cares about me. And, and all the prophets are dead. Israel doesn't want to hear the voice of the Lord anymore. I just want to die and go home. I'm going to go out here under this tree. Just take me home, Lord. And he starts singing this song of depression. And God loves Elijah and sent him an angel to strengthen him. And the angel cooked the guy food. And he ate the food. And the food sustained him for 40 days. It had to be some kind of special food. And, and God gave him all these encounters with him and, and spoke. And, and, and Elijah never got out of that depression. He goes, 40 days. He's in a cave. And he's out there. What's he saying? The same thing. Read the story. He's just, it's a broken record. The same, Lord, they've killed all the prophets. They don't want to listen to me. You know, just, I want to die and go home. I'm no better than my father's. Just take me out of here. And God appears to him with the fire and the, the wind and the earthquake and all that. And finally, God has to speak to Elijah and basically say, if I could paraphrase, I love you, Elijah, but I can't use you anymore like this. So I tell you what, you go and anoint your successor, Elisha, and he'll take your place to do what I can't use you to do anymore because you won't shake off this depression. And Elisha prayed an awesome prayer. He said, Lord, let me get a double portion of what Elijah had. And he had it too. But I don't want to get beat down into some depression, suicidal depression, a place of negativity in my mind, in my heart, in my mouth, where the enemy has beat me down to a place to where I just want to give up. I lose. Listen, I don't want to lose my vision for what God's called me to do. I don't want to get to a place where I feel like, well, I just want to go home to be with the Lord. Nobody cares anymore. In the day and hour we're living, people that are revivalists could be discouraged about some stuff. But I don't want to get to a place of being beat down into some depression by some Jezebel spirit or some kind of witchcraft or something. I'm going to break that off me in Jesus' name. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to let my mind continually, like Elijah, thinking about the negative. I'm not going to let my heart get like that. I'm not going to let my mouth keep speaking negative and cursing my life and welcoming some kind of death. So here's the last couple things. Stay faithful, guys. Here's, here's the last, just some advice. Stay faithful to God's house. How many will do that? Listen, I've seen people down through the years for whatever reason, there's all kinds of reasons, 10, 20, 50, 100 reasons people have why they're going to get out of church. Bottom line is, it's, a, it's disobedience to the scripture. The Bible says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. And that's what it meant, going to church. So don't get out of God's house. This, in these latter days, we've got to be under a covering. Here's the power of coming together in River of Life. We gather together around the communion table. Every week we bring our lives under the blood together. Isn't that awesome, powerful? Number two, there's a unity as we come together and unify in our vision, in our prayer. 
when we're praying together. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. We make God's house a house of worship and prayer. Number four, there's freedom in worship, isn't there? You know, some places, man, it's hard to worship. You feel like, you know, somebody's singing up there, and I mean, everybody's just sitting there just staring at them. You ever been in a place like that? Worst place in the world to try to worship. I mean, everybody's just a spectator. No worship going on at all. I mean, God forbid if you start raising a hand, you know, somebody, you feel like somebody's going to come up slapping the back of the head or something. But you want to have freedom in worship. Like here, were you free to worship the Lord? I saw that little girl today dancing. And so I'll tell you what, her worship was probably more pleasing than any of ours. Seriously. The next one is Holy Spirit-led anointed services. See, the Holy Spirit's a person. And my prayer every service is, Holy Spirit, come take over the service. This is not my service. This is your service. I've had enough of that. I grew up in church. I've been around all the stuff where at, you know, 7.20 we're going to do this. At 7.30 we're going to do this. I, I, was, I was done with that 20 years ago. I'm done with that. We want the Holy Spirit to come and let's just move with him. What do you want to do tonight, Holy Spirit? What's the word of the Lord? What worship songs do you want to do? Do you want the worship to go long? However you want to do it, we just want to move with you. And you know what? It produces an atmosphere of life and power, doesn't it? Preaching the whole counsel of God and also not embracing sin. We got to be careful as a church that we love people, but we don't come in agreement with sin. Amen? Last two things I want to say is this, a disciplined soul. This is so important. We've got to discipline our minds and discipline our hearts. God wants us to do our part that we, we're, we have a renewed mind in the word, but we have a strong, disciplined soul. There's something about the military that's inspiring in this area. You know, they have to get up early. They have to go run. They have a regiment. There isn't none of this. I want to lay back and sleep in. <laughs> I want to do this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a, there's a discipline. And uh, woe to the one who isn't going to be disciplined. So there's something, though, about that, that God wants us to have a discipline. It's like every day I'm going to make time to spend with God. I'm going to discipline my life. There's days prayer may be glorious and there's days it may be difficult to pray, but come hell or high water or whatever, I'm praying today. And I'm going to get in the word today. And I'm going to have a disciplined mind, a disciplined heart. I'm going to discipline my soul that I'm not going to be somebody that's up and down. On this roller coaster of being all happy and joyful one day and then a deep, dark depression the next day. <laughs> I've seen people like that. They're just all over the place, up and down, all over the place, unstable. But when you have a strong, disciplined soul, that your mind and your heart, that part of you is disciplined, you're not given over to depression because your mind is stayed on the Lord. And your mind is renewed with the word of God and you focus on the promises of God. People that have a disciplined soul are not given over to outburst of anger. They don't have a lack of self-control with their mouth. They have their mouth under control. 
They're not up and down. See, that's the part of us. Our spirit is saved when we're born again, but that soul area, that soul area has got to be sanctified and strengthened, doesn't it? You know, when Jesus was about, you remember he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's about to go through the cross. And what did he say? He kept going back to the disciples. Why? Because they, they kept falling asleep on him. Are y'all hearing me? That's a lack of discipline right there. But Jesus was steadfast. He was strong. But the others? And the last thing to read is this. Keys to victory in times of intense warfare. Here's, I'm just going to read over this. But how many knows we got to stay focused on the Lord? Don't focus on what the devil's doing. It's important to discern it and pray about it so that it's blocked and to know what's going on. But we need to stay focused on the Lord and what he's doing. And if we're focused on him, there's great strength in that, isn't there? If you focus on the enemy and the negative, you can get depressed. But if you focus on the Lord, there's no way to get depressed. Number two, make sure you have a strong prayer life and stay in church, as I mentioned. Number three, take communion and speak the promises of God. So powerful. On your own, take the communion at home and speak out loud the promises of God. Speak faith over your life. And you watch as impossible things will turn. But it takes that. It takes speaking the word of God over your life, not speaking curses and negativity praise don't allow depression what does the bible say i've given you a garment of what praise for the spirit of heaviness did you know when you come in and you begin you can do this at home put on some praise did you know when you begin to really praise the lord that it breaks that heaviness off you did everybody hear what i just said you want to get heaviness off you begin to praise him when you come to church shake that off you say devil i'm not going to be like the prophet elijah i'm not going to get into depression i'm going to begin to praise god and i'm going to focus on him and what he's doing and what he says about me and what he says he's going to do my life may not look good right now in every area but the promises of god is going to turn it around and what the devil meant for evil will turn around for my good. And it will be a testimony. Thanksgiving. Don't allow grumbling of any kind. Paul said, in all things, give thanks. And let me remind you, he wrote that while in prison. The next one is, be quick to forgive from your heart. And finally, don't allow any sin in your life. Which I open with that and I'm closing with that. I believe that right there. If we will forgive people quickly and we'll confess and repent of sin quick, those two things will solve a lot of our problems, won't they? Just right there. How many of you guys got something out of tonight? Listen, there's, you know, we can rejoice tonight. You feel the open heaven, awesome time of worship. The presence of God is here. You know, with the sermons, we kind of joke around, laugh a little bit. We have a good time in God's house. But listen, there's times that warfare may show up at your doorstep. When those times come, it can be difficult. How you handle it can determine a lot of things. If you get in unforgiveness, you start speaking all this negative garbage over your life. You start grumbling. You get all these 
things I mentioned tonight, you start allowing this stuff in your life, it can really open the door. See, I can open that door. If there's somebody out there that's a terroristic type person, I can go over there and lock that door. But if I unlock it and just crack it a little, what are they going to do? They're going to get their foot in. And you won't be able to shut it all the way. Then pretty soon they're going to pry it open and they're going to get in. When we don't handle things well, we're giving the devil a foothold. We're letting him to pry, pry something open to get in. That's why, you know, also I would say married couples, be careful that you don't go to bed angry with unresolved issues. If you, if you get into a fight or something, make sure before you go to sleep that you forgive each other and pray about it. You don't want to go to bed because if you don't deal with it, the Bible says that, don't go to bed angry. In other words, the King James, don't let the sun set on your wrath or whatever. Wrath. <laughs> the wrath of your spouse. The wrath comes. If you, if you get into an argument and the wrath has come, right, that cold front has descended into your house. <laughs> it has come. Then here's what you need to do. Make sure before you go to bed that you forgive each other and you pray together. I'm serious because you think it was bad before you went to sleep. If the devil wants a foothold in and you go to bed with unresolved issues, there could be something slither in while you're asleep like a spirit of strife and you may wake up the next day and you find that things are not better. And once you let the devil in, how many knows it's so easy to let him in? But it, you got to fight on your hand to ever get him back out. That's the truth, isn't it? So let me just give some advice. Before you go to bed at night, forgive everybody. Confess your sin. Keep short accounts with people. Make sure your spouse and you are in unity. I'm telling you, that alone right there is going to solve a lot of problems. That'll keep the devil at bay, won't it? So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. Let this be sealed tonight in every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to